the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And today, Josh and I are going to talk about how to get prepared for 2021. It's, you know, as we're recording this, it's middle to the end of November. The ATP Tour Finals are going on in London. And that's often a, a signal that the, the pro season is, is winding down. But for many of us who are involved at tennis at an amateur level or college or high school, there really is no off-season. We're always training to a certain extent. And so using the end of the year as a milestone is, is probably the best way for us to get prepared uh, for, for 2021. And so today what we're going to do is actually talk about how we review 2020 in preparation for setting ourselves up for a great 2021. And I think it's important that we do take the time to do a, a year-end review or a season review just to realize uh, everything that, that's gone on. And as Josh and I were talking, you know, Josh, you had some great ideas about kind of how to start that whole process. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a great place to start is uh, is actually just by looking at your calendar. Um, some people keep a digital calendar, you know, on their phones or computers, others, um, something that's written by hand, but, uh, just taking a, taking a look back or a flip back and, uh, take, taking a look at, you know, where you were at in January of this year. Um, remembering what you were doing on a day-to-day basis. Of course, our lives have changed drastically, um, this year with the, uh, global pandemic, um, but I think it's important to uh, to look back um, and almost refresh our memory on uh, some of the milestones and accomplishments um, from the last year, even, you know, considering the the many challenges that uh, society has faced and, and most most people have faced um, accordingly. So yeah, I, I, I would say by, by start the, the calendar is often a great place to start. Yeah. And I think you also had mentioned, you know, go through your photos over the course of the year. That's another great reminder. I mean, everybody has, you know, photos on their phones or, or whatever, and um, just kind of scroll through and see see everything that, that has gone on. It had obviously been a, a very different year this year. Um, so I do think that that's a, that's a great place to begin. Um, I think, and you mentioned this, you know, thinking about the different accomplishments um, that you've had this year. So I, I, I came up with um, some things I think that uh, people could use almost like as a framework to go through the year. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So several years ago, I used a um, a program from uh, Darren Hardy. So Darren Hardy at the time was the publisher of uh, Success Magazine. And he had this um, really cool um, book that you could use. It was called The Best Year Ever, something like that, Best Year of Your Life. And the beginning of it, though, was all about reviewing the past year. And so I thought some of the best ideas from that were um, listing out your accomplishments. So, you know, even though uh, maybe, the, again, this wasn't the, the greatest year for everybody, that doesn't mean you didn't accomplish things. So you might want to think about, hey, what were maybe five or 10 things that I accomplished? You know, and I know, you know, we can give some examples from our own lives, Josh, as we go through some of this year-end review, because I think maybe where we started off in January... Uh, our vision may have been completely different than where we are, you know, today near the end of, of, of 2020. Um, I think another cool one to think about is, you know, what are the 10 greatest things that happened to you this year? 
Um, and again, using your calendar and using photos might be a really great way to sort of prompt you to, to think about that. What's the best decision you made this year? I think that'd be interesting to, to look at. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned this year? What were the th- you know, maybe biggest improvements that you had? That could be tennis, could be in your mental game, maybe strength and conditioning. Um, we're going to get into this a, a little bit more later, but you know, in terms of your performance team, who are the greatest influences on you? And that could be, of course, your performance team, but it might also be maybe some books that you read or products that you used or, or whatever, articles. Um, they may have influenced you. What's one word that sums up your year last year or this year? I like that. Um, and I think that's also something, hey, could we come up with, you know, as we talk about 2021, what's a, maybe a phrase or mantra that we could use, right? So we'll, we'll maybe talk about that. Um, what's, you know, what are some things that you would do differently if you could go back? So I think those are all like some really good ways of, looking at 2020 in a more positive fashion because i think i don't know if you watch media or whatever there's a lot of uh sort of you know 2020 worst year ever or whatever um but we all lived through it. we've all made it survived um can we somehow you know put a a more positive spin so you know of those sort of ideas josh are there any that pop out for you as like being really interesting that like just made you think of something? Yeah, I, I would say there, there, there's definitely a couple. Um, and I, I, I love that, that list. Um, I, I would say one of the biggest ones is um, the, the, your influences. So uh, that, that might be the people that you're surrounding yourself with either, um, you know, the, the people that you interact with on a daily basis could be, as you mentioned, the books that you're reading, the podcasts you're listening to, the products you're consuming, whatever it may be. Um, and I'm sure many, you know, many of our listeners have heard that you are the average of the five people you spend your most, the, the most amount of time with. And I think that that certainly rings true. And I think um, from a tennis perspective, we talk a lot about forming your team um, and, you know, at the professional level or the elite level, it often, that, that team often involves, um, you know, the, the family um, the, the coach, um, a, a sports psychology professional, maybe a strength and conditioning coach, um, physio, you know, and, and maybe other members as well. Um, but, you know, thinking and having an intentional approach to creating that team and to uh, making sure that everyone in that team has sort of has that same goal in mind and, uh, you know, that things are, are flowing well bet- between that entire team is, is certainly important. So I think um, the influences is definitely important. Also, I would say um, thinking about a mantra um, or, you know, a, a single word or phrase that um, sums up the, the last year and also going into next year, you know, maybe a certain phrase or word that um, that you want to refer to as um, an intention to, to live by. Um, I, I can, can speak personally, um, you know, this past year is trying to sort of push, push the envelope a little bit more and, and do, you know, bigger, bigger things, um, in, in certain regards. Um, and there's actually a quote by a rapper that I like Eminem, um, life's too short to not go for broke, um, is, is the quote, um, which, you know, resonated with me for whatever reason. And, uh, sort of a, a constant reminder to put it, put it out on, put it all out on the table. 
and to, to go for it. Um, and, and well, I know we've talked about reminders a little bit in past episodes and how to be reminded of goals and intentions and mantras and these sorts of things. Um, but I actually use my, my cell phone and just have uh, a daily, you know, once a day, my, I think it was from Siri, me telling Siri, can you know, please remind me at such and such time each day. Um, and it just, I, I get that notification each and every day. And of the, you know, countless notifications, I get that one for whatever reason resonates with me and, and sort of reminds me of um, where I want to be heading and, and the way I want to be um, living and leading my life. So yeah. those are the, those are definitely two that that uh, resonated with me. Um, I, I, a question that I have is, um, you know, as we reflect on the last year, and I know we we want to, you know, certainly have a positive spin and you know a positive perspective because I think there, you know, even on a very challenging year, there always is that that silver lining. How can we how can we learn from, you know, our our personal experiences from from this past year in order to um, give ourselves the best chance for success and whatever that means going forward. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, maybe another process that we can go through, and this is often done in, in business contexts, um, is going through like that stop, start, continue yep. review. And, you know, and so for those of us who don't know what that is, you know, stop, start, continue is looking at, all right, what are some things I need to stop doing? What are some things I need to start doing and what are some things that I should continue to do? And I think that that's a helpful exercise, especially when you break it down into maybe a little bit more granular perspective. So I did this with a a soccer team a few years ago. They actually had reached the final of their conference championship. So it it was a successful season for them. They hadn't actually even made their conference tournament in years. Um, The coach's job was on the line. He knew it was on the line. Um, And... So, and it was my first year working with that team. And so what I wanted to capitalize on, on sort of the good feeling that the team had, and we went through this stop, start, continue, and we broke it down into physical training, strength and conditioning, uh, mental training, uh, game plan and tactics. And so all the players had to fill out that stop, start, continue. And then we kind of put it into one big document and then went over it with the coaches. And of course, there were some things in there that they may have dismissed, but there were also some things in there that were surprising and good for the team and helped them shape what they were going to do in their off-season training, as well as, you know, what they were going to do for the next season. Um, So I think that's a great way to kind of look back at your year and and think about, all right, what are, uh, you know, knowing some of the habits that I have today, you know, like, all right, if I Maybe my diet isn't the best. I'm, you know, not, I need to stop maybe having so much sugar or that type of thing um, and need to start doing other things. So um, I think that's a good way to, to um, not just have a positive spin, right, on the past year, but to realistically look at, all right, you know, I want to try to become the best player I can become. That's going to be part of my vision um, going forward. So in order to do that, can I break some things that I'm already doing down into these three, three categories? Have you done that type of exercise, Josh? Yeah. Yes. So certainly I think, um, I think it can some, you know, doing exercises like that can certainly be illuminating for, um, you know, for each individual on a team and also for the team as a whole, where I think, um, you know, maybe if an individual is feeling 
uneasy about their own performance in one of those areas, and then they break it down as a group and they see, hey, you know, other, other members of the team are feeling this exact same way about nutrition, right? You know, maybe as a team, we need to be a little bit more diligent with our nutrition, or maybe, you know, people are getting off track a little bit on, you know, off, off the court or off the field or whatever it may be um, in terms of, um, in in terms of nutrition, in terms of our sleep, in terms of um, whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think I think it can be very helpful to reflect and to to learn from that experience. Um, absolutely, I think um, the the continue piece is is a key there um, because as we talked about, we don't want to just gloss over any negatives. Um, we want to, in my view, we want to highlight the positive. We want to, um, especially you know, the year of 2020, we want to break it all down and you know had taken an honest look and then remind ourselves of those positives throughout the year. You mentioned the 10 greatest things that happened over the past year, the best decision that you made um, over that year. So it's, it's not about lying to ourselves or, you know, seeing the world through rose colored glasses. It's about um, simply noticing and pointing out those positives throughout the past year. Um, and the, you know, having a clear intention to continue them. And I think also writing, writing it down, the very act of writing down a goal, um, a goal or an intention, such as continuing a particular behavior or action, um, makes you m- much more likely to adhere to it. I think the, um, the research would, would certainly um, su- suggest that. And uh, that's certainly that, you know, something that I um, so suggest with athletes when talking to them about writing down goals, about, you know, whenever comfortable sharing those goals with um, some, some trusted people in terms of being more likely to adhere to them. Um, and I know we can talk a little bit more about goals broadly, but I think, um, you know, it's important as we look towards next year and 2021, um, that, you know, that goals are not just talked about or thought about as resolutions often are, Oh, I want to lose 30 pounds, or I want to go to the gym four times a week, or I want to get straight A's, but that they're, actually written down and broken down systematically. And uh, I think that that writing down process and that, as you said, that start, stop, continue um, process can can really make a huge difference. I think actually the whole year in review should be written down. And yep. um, when we talk about doing something like this, it's not um, necessarily something you're going to do in five minutes. I think sure. you have to carve out some time to do it, you know, uh, and maybe it's one to two hours for the, to, you know, the year end review. And then the goal setting is probably two plus hours, you know, to figure out your plan and, and some of the other things that, that, that we'll, we'll get into. Um, but even though, you know, this is a longer type of thing, you know, I, when I think about this year, everything that's going on, you know, and like say where I was in January, February, I mean, for me, like things were going great. Business was good. I was looking forward to a great college tennis season, um, you know, working with different teams. And then, um, you know, beginning of March, everything sort of like every day, just sort of like, all right, well, that match has now been canceled. Uh, Now the whole season's canceled and everything. And so like when I look back on this year, I think my kind of word for the year is evolution. I've had to kind of evolve and pivot and, and do different things. Um, you know, I think us creating this podcast, yep. great decision. 
I would say, on our part to do it. I, I'm, I'm extremely happy about that. And But this wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the pandemic. You know, and so in that regard, you know, hey, I can look at the silver lining of all of that. Um, even, uh, you know, us beginning the USPTA New England Sports Psychology Committee wouldn't have happened if it weren't for those things. So even in the kind of the light of, you know, supposed negative events, can we find the benefit? Can we find the silver lining in these things um, so that we can move forward? Because it's not always all terrible. Um, I do think, you know, when we think about what we could do differently, you know, that's a realistic look back. That's that that means, hey, you know, I maybe could have done this a little bit better. So I think that's that's good. Um, so I would say let's make sure that we're carving out some time that we don't gloss over the year end review and just go straight to goals. Um, everybody wants to look forward and, and, and set goals. But I think it's really important for that each of us recognize what we accomplished this year. Um, because I think that, you know, from a self, from a sports psychology perspective or just a psychology perspective, it helps us develop some confidence that, and it helps us also think about, all right, look how far I've come. You know, am I better than I was in January? Hopefully we can all say that we are that, you know, this year, obviously a little bit different because there was a gap for many of us, but hopefully we've recovered from that and that our games have continued to grow. And so that develops some confidence. It makes us feel like we've got, you know, some self-efficacy, like we are capable of doing things. Um, and so I think it is, we don't want to gloss over that part. I think it's really important to recognize how far we've come. And then, all right, now we want to go to that next level. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, being able to, to look at it all on paper, um, and, and look at look at those accomplishments throughout the year which really helps to show how far you've come as does you know looking back at your calendar and you know seeing some of these milestones throughout the last 11 months or 12 months um, the, the other thing that came to mind as, as you were talking is um, this concept of adversity and overcoming adversity and that process making us making us stronger um, you know with a lot of the tennis players I've talked to you know they um, obviously we, we've had the shared experience of working with college teams during that process. And, you know, in mid March, the entire season coming to an end. Um, but with, with, with some junior players as well as adult players who had, you know, a slate of USTA tournaments that, that they were planning to play that were canceled, whether that's at the regional level, the national level, international level. Um, it's also very challenging when they have certain, um, ranking goals or rating goals or whatever it may be, or they're trying to maybe make it onto a high uh, a college team or be recruited by coaches. Um, so being able to, as, as you said, evolve and be flexible. Um, and uh, I, I remember in one of our past episodes, we um, talking with uh, Jeff Barrup and Tim Donovan talking about um, during that college recruiting process that the, the players that were, you know, thinking outside the box and being flexible and sending out videos to coaches about, um, you know, the, the training that they continued doing during the pandemic were often looked at very favorably. So I think, you know, I, I would agree that in my own personal life, and, you know, I've had a lot of changes as well this year and a lot of um, new opportunities, exciting opportunities, including, you know, this, this podcast, which has really been um, very, you know, very excited that we, that we started this. And as, as you said, would not have happened without the pandemic. Um, but I think, you know, as we all look back, we can all 
take solace and take comfort in the ways that we've adapted and changed and made the best of a challenging situation. Um, when, you know, when life stopped and things had to go virtual, um, you know, taking businesses virtual, taking relationships vir virtual at times, um, whatever it may be. Um, but being able to adapt and adjust and handle the adversity of 2020, I think is, should be thought of as a, as a bright spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So now that we've kind of covered the review of 2020 and looked at it realistically, but also positively with a good spin on that. And, and we perhaps have a better understanding of what we want to stop, start and continue then it becomes time to look at, okay, what do we want to do in 2021? Yep. And so when you start like a goal setting process, Josh, how do you, how do you think of it? What do you, how do you break it down for people and help them develop a plan? Yeah. Well, um, generally the way I, I would start is um, just by breaking down a goal into, into pieces. So starting with um, a larger goal that um, we would refer to as an outcome goal um, oftentimes, and then uh, breaking that down into performance and process pieces um, beneath that. So um, thinking about, you know, maybe that goal is, let's just say getting a college scholarship for a junior athlete, or maybe for an adult um, USTA player, it's, um, you know, competing in a certain number of national tournaments or achieving certain ranking or whatever, whatever it may be for that particular person. But then breaking that into um, performance goals that would have to be attained, you know, maybe that means you have to make improvements with your serve or improvements with aspects of your mental game or your sleep um, or whatever it may be. And then um, into smaller process goals that um, make those possible. Um, so I, I would, st I start with that process, um, that, you know, breaking it down and having each person, um, define those goals for themselves. Um, you know, I, I'm certainly of the view that when, when one creates their own goals for themselves and they're not imposed by their sports psychology professional or their coach or, or their parents, um, that they're more likely to adhere to those goals and that their, those goals are more important, um, and meaningful for them. So, um, breaking it down into those uh, outcome performance and process pieces, but also um, trying to, to utilize the SMART goal framework in terms of, um, you know, making the, sure that goals are specific, that they can be easily measured, um, that they're attainable without being, you know, overly unrealistic, um, that they, um, that they're realistic, that, that they're, you know, realistic and not, um, you know, as we talked about, I, I think the, um, the A and the R and, and SMART get, get a little bit, um, work together a little bit here and then, uh, and then timely, and then they, they have a clear, clear time. So I, I break it down into that SMART goal framework and then, um, through the outcome performance and, uh, and process goals. How do you, how do you start breaking down, um, goals when you work with athletes? I think it's very similar, Josh, but I think I would like maybe have one process inserted and this may not resonate with everybody, but I like, let's say, um, you know, you want to be number one in New England. Yep. All right. The process that I would insert in there is having you understand who you need to be as a tennis player in order to achieve that. 
And the way I like to think of it is uh, in terms of your physical game, your conditioning, your mental game, maybe your character. And then having people write sentences like, all right, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, number one in New England, um, then, you know, my serve is going to be a weapon that helps me get more free points. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be, you know, an all court aggressive player who uses his forehand to force more errors. And it's just a way of kind of like developing this vision of the game that you'd like to play, like that you see yourself playing. And, yeah. and, you know, a way to understand this in some ways is like, all right, if I want to be a number one player in New England or, or achieve some other goal, what do other people who have achieved that goal, what do they look like? What do they do? And it can help you begin to kind of craft your vision of, you know, who you need to be in order to get there. And then I think the who you need to be can then start to drive a lot of the performance and process goals that that we can then be working on. And then finally, I think this is where we'll end up at, at one point here is um, can you begin taking all of that down to your routines and actions and discrete action steps because that's really where the magic happens it's great to have a plan but if you don't actually put it into action then it's not doing anything for you it's just gathering dust yep right and so um i I like to think of it as i i've done this in like different columns so you know sort of in the left hand column we, we write out the vision then we've got the performance goals the process goals and then the habits and the action steps and it's you know that process goes from left to right but the achievement process actually goes from right to left you just focus on your actions and your habits and it'll help you achieve your process goals and your performance goals and and hopefully get to that that vision um and you made a point i think earlier about even if you have a plan there has to be adjustments along the way you have to be doing some some course corrections things change as we have seen and so, uh, you know, you might have to make some adjustments. Some, sometimes you can't be doing some of the things that you were doing earlier. Uh, now you have to do some other things. So I think that, that that's a, a big part of it. So I think, I would, you know, I think we're basically in, in line with each other. I think it's, for me, I like to have that vision piece of, you know, who, who do I want to be? And I actually think of that, Josh, also as an outcome, right? Even though you, you may, we might have stated our goal as a particular ranking, and that is certainly an outcome. But me becoming that player is also an outcome and, and defining it at a, at a different level. Um, and I've found that that has been a, a pretty good way for people to go a little bit deeper on their development. Because I think if like, we left tennis players on their own to do this, we'd get probably 90%, if not more, of the work done on their physical game. And that's it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to consider your conditioning. You've mentioned sleep a couple of times, right? It's important to make sure that your physical energy, things that go into that sleep, nutrition, hydration are mm-hmm. a part of that. Your mental game is a part of that, that your character as a person is, is a part of that development plan. Um, and many of the activities that we come up with are probably going to help feed all of those areas or feed multiple of those areas, Um so, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Like, kind of maybe adding in a vision of who you want to be. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a great point. Um, I think 
it's I think once a player has a clear identity for where they see themselves currently and where they want to head, um, then they have a clear direction. And, and as you said, then some of these other steps, like, you know, where, where your goals lie and what those smaller pieces in terms of your routines and those process goals and those, those daily actions um, become a lot clearer. Um, and so I, I, I would agree that, you know, by, by starting at that point, it makes the entire process a lot easier um, because it, um, and we talked about in, um, in a very recent episode about motivation and finding your why, but once you have that identity and, and, and you know, how you see yourself, you know, if, if you want to be number one in New England, that requires you to, um, to go about things in a, in a certain way um, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, having that, that very clear identity of who you need to become makes those other pieces start to fall in line. Where Okay, if I want to become, uh, you know, the, the, the best player in the region, that means I you know, can't be spending all this time, you know, on my phone doing whatever I need to be, um, focused on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, on the, these things that take my game to that next level. Um, so it's, I, I, I would agree that starting with a, um, a little bit deeper and digging a little bit deeper at the start makes, uh, the rest of the work, um, a bit easier and makes it a little bit clearer for, um, where, where the, the rest of those goals lie. Yeah. And so let's say, you know, we're working with a player and, you know, because I think there are different people who should be involved in the, in the plan, in the goal planning process, right? I think you'd probably agree with that. But let's say we're working with them on the, the mental and emotional skills. Are there, you know, knowing, you know, what you know about tennis players, what might be some of the prompts that you would give them in terms of like, all right, how, th- you know, what are the different things that you'd want them to maybe be thinking about? setting some goals on in terms of being improving these mental skills going forward. Are there any that kind of jump out at you as being like the most important things? Um, I would start with practice. I would start with how you practice, how you, you know, what's your daily energy in practice, bringing a certain level of consistency to practice. So there's not a huge range in um, where your energy is at, where your focus is at on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I would also, um, you know, we talk about character and, um, you know, behavior, um, you starting on the court and off the court. Um, I would, I would think about, um, you know, getting a little bit deeper into the performance side, um, where you're at point by point. So making sure that, um, you have a, you know, some sort of routine or some sort of ritual that you can go to in between points to set yourself up for the following one. Um, so I would say, yeah, I, I would sort of start, um, you know, bigger picture as we, as we talked about and sort of get, get smaller and smaller and more granule, um, as, as I break that down. How, how about you? Yeah, I think that those are good things. Hey, they, let's go back to the practice one. Cause that's really important, right? We want to make sure that we practice the same way that we're going to compete. Yep. Right. Because if we're not practicing at that level, then we're going to compete at that sort of lower level and you know maybe this takes this is another aspect of goal setting is working on daily goal setting yep for those practices to make sure that we're getting as much as we can out of each each practice day so i think that's good i love the routines piece so that's that's going to be helping with focus we talked a lot about that in some previous episodes um um, having that that full focus being in the moment focusing on like what's important now 
those types of things. Um, I think we could, you know, more generally think about, all right, how do we develop more confidence or develop confidence as a skill? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our last episode, we talked with, uh, you know, Steve Walker about the confidence journal. I know that that was like one thing that you really liked from that episode. Um, that's something I think would be a great thing to, you know, work on is, you know, can we become a more confident player? Can I trust my shots more under pressure? You know, so maybe that's the vision. Like I will be trusting my shots more under pressure this year, you know, or in big moments. Okay. Well, how do we work on that? Maybe we get it all the way down to something like a, like a confidence journal. Um, so I think focus, confidence are really two important things, you know, and then making sure that we bring that level of motivation and goal setting to practice is, is really good. Um, who else should be involved in the goal setting process? Um, I, I, I would say the, the coach, um, I would say that the coach should be involved, maybe not in necessarily, um, well, I, I would say, yeah, I, I would say that the coach should definitely be involved in forming the goals. And, you know, if there's an adjustment, um, that, that they should, um, at least be involved in that process. Um, the parents, if it's a junior athlete should, should be on board and, you know, everyone should be speaking, speaking the same language, so to speak, um, in in terms of being on the same page, um, with that process. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if an athlete has their, I, I would also say it depends to a certain extent on what those goals are. So if, if a, uh, athlete's goals have to do with nutrition, maybe there's some sort of outside nutritionist that is, part of the team that, that needs to be a part of that goal setting process as well. You know, an expert in that field that can provide some um, unique insight into um, from a nutrition perspective, what, what needs to be done to perform at, at a high level. Um, yeah. And probably so, the yeah. same on the strength and conditioning side as well. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Right. As, as the player becomes even more serious, but even still, I mean, that could be someone my age that doesn't mean I can't get involved a coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, a strength and conditioning person, a sports psych. Um, I think it's always good to have coaches. Um, I think perhaps also players, especially those at the adult level, they should not, if, they, if they're working with a particular coach, or they're taking lessons, they should raise their expectations in my mind that their coach actually has a plan for developing their game. Yep. Um, and that's true at the junior level as well. Um, and you know, this is where I think the USTA actually has some really great resources. So USTA player development has a nice template for a, a player development plan. Um, and, uh, we'll put a link to that in our, in our show notes. Um, and Francisco Montoya, who's the director of the Academy at Manchester Athletic Club, the Mac Academy there. He did a, a a really nice talk about um, this plan, um, and we'll link to that uh, webinar that he did. Uh, it was part of the USTA New England Pro Power Series last spring, um, and he essentially went through a plan that had been produced for a player who uh, who trained at at the Mac Academy, um, and then went on to do extremely well um, at a, a very high level Division One uh, tennis tennis program. And um, so I think it's it's good to have that understanding. And it, the, the nice thing about that plan, Josh, is it it does look at the team holistically. It asks you to list out, you know, everybody who's involved with the player, 
um, and it looks at different uh, types of goals, but it also helps prioritize things. And so it's really just, I think, a nice document that can help the whole performance team come around and have a shared understanding of, of what we're, we're trying to do. Um, so I think that that's a really uh, a, a great resource that, um, you know, players in a way, if they don't have that from their coach, they should demand that in a nice way, of course. But um, I, I think that that really should be be a, a part of what they do. Um, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I would definitely agree. I think um, having a coach who has a clear a clear vision, you know, who, who has who's been through it before. Um, you know, either on a personal level, on a coaching level, um, but also, as you said, is able to break break it down into the various aspects of the game, the strength and conditioning piece, the technical portion, the, the mental portion, um, any other portions, and um, breaks, it, breaks it down, um, u- utilizing some of the resources that are already out there through USTA. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, our listeners can certainly get a lot of value um, through, through, through that resource. And, you know, can, uh, you know, I think spending a little bit of time and, um, you know, taking an honest look at, at things and, you know, laying out what is, what is your team and, uh, you know, how, how can you make improvements in, in these various areas and, you know, having that development plan, um, that, you know, a, a coach, I, I would agree that, that a coach should be guiding that process. And, you know, the parents, if it's a junior athlete, um, might be involved in that process or if with an adult, adult athlete, um, you know, any other coaches that, that they're utilizing, um, might, might, uh, be involved in that process. I, I would say ought to be involved in that process. Um, so yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's about knowing that those resources are out there for coaches and, and utilizing them. Yeah. And actually, uh, uh taking a look at the USTA player development site, they actually have their own website separate from just USTA. Com. They've, they've done a lot of great updates in the last year. So there's a ton of awesome resources and information there for both coaches, players, and others. So we mentioned earlier the idea of uh, goal setting for practices. So uh, USTA Player Development does have a copy of their, their journal there, which can help you not only set goals for practices, but also set goals for matches. Yep. Um, match evaluations, et cetera. So that could be, you know, when we start to commit to some new habits for the next year, perhaps something like that kind of reflection or goal setting could be, could be one of the things that's out there. And this, you know, this is an easy way to get started, um, you know, free PDF to get you going. Um, when you think of maybe some habits, Josh, that um, maybe there maybe some habits that have helped you maybe as a player or even as a, a tennis professional or a sports psych professional, are there any things that, you know, that have helped you over the last few years that could uh, maybe help some of the listeners as well? Um, I would say meditation. I would say meditation is a huge one um, that I, I sort of got into in college a bit and uh, more so during my master's program. And I would say more so increasingly as the years have gone on and it's still, I mean, you know, fully transparently, it's still something that I, and working on the best ways to do, you know, more and more consistently to bring it into my, you know, some form of that mindfulness practice into my life on a daily basis, um, where I find that, you know, at, at times I'm, I'm quite consistent about doing it daily. And at other times I, you know, have a, have a tougher time with that. 
Um, but I, I would say that is definitely a practice that um, I would say has has led to to some clarity in my life. Has also led me to be able to slow down and simply take a deep breath when when needed. Um, you know, maybe more during more challenging moments, or maybe you know when I have a lot going on, just to be able to um, you know think a little bit more clearly, to focus, to um, regulate my emotions. Um, I think it, I think it really has a, a whole host of benefits. Um, actually, at one point, I'll I'll share this. I, at one point um, during the summer, my brother and I were in a a great routine of calling each other at 9 a.m. daily and doing a 10 minute um, headspace or you know one of the other app um, meditation, um, putting it on speakerphone through the computer and uh, doing it. You know, from I was in Connecticut at the time; he was in Massachusetts. And uh, doing that on a on a daily basis, I would say, definitely brought a lot of uh, value value to me and, and to my life. And you know, maybe don't do it as uh, as consistently as I'd like, um, but definitely find that that has uh, is one daily habit that um, has brought and continues to bring a lot of value into my life. Um, I like that because also you you with your brother, you kind of had like an accountability partner, right? You partnered up on it and, and maybe that increases the motivation or the adherence to, the, to the habit, which is cool. And that might be something that everybody can think about is can, can I recruit somebody to do this with me? Yep. Um, so, because yeah. it can be hard to do it all on our own. Absolutely. I think having somebody else who maybe has a shared goal or shared, you know, as part of that same journey and working, you know, working together on holding each other accountable and, you know, reminding each other. And if, if one person doesn't feel like meditating on that day, you can sort of push the other person. Um, I, I think that accountability piece um, is, is huge in, in uh, adhering to whatever goals that is, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's something like mindfulness, whether it's, uh, you know, even something like diet, whatever, you know, I think, um, exercise, I, I, I think that that adherence um, definitely increases when there's when there's some accountability there. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, probably the thing that's been maybe the most life changing was um, years ago when I took a class in positive psychology. I think this is like 2010. We were encouraged to take this character um, based strength survey. It's called Values in Action, and I think the website's like viacharacter.org. I don't know if you've ever taken that, but it's free, um, basically strengths assessment. And it's uh, measured on like these 24 different character strengths. And the idea is to look at your top five and then see how you can use your top five more in your life, right? As a way of helping you be happier, lead a more fulfilling, meaningful life. And so my top one ended up being um, love of learning. So I was like, all right. How do I, you know, develop some habits around that? Because obviously I like it. So I developed um, two habits. This more was when I was commuting. So I would read for some nonfiction book for 30 minutes a day. But also when I was driving, I would listen to audiobooks, sort of nonfiction audiobooks. So um, those two habits, really maybe combined into one, have made a huge difference. Just in, you know, my knowledge of uh, you know sports psychology, other different aspects of things, um, and I can remember, you know, uh, just like certain books that I listened to and like the points that I got out of that, and um, and it just fed into a strength of mine. 
So it wasn't like, oh, I, I hate learning. I hate reading. It was like, let me do this and sort of take it to the next level. Because I think even in the car, it was a way to take some maybe unproductive time and turn it into something more productive for me. You know, so I used to, I think probably listen to sports radio, a lot of toxic stuff, especially in the Boston area. When it comes to sports radio, it's not a lot of positivity there. Um, and, you know, so I ditched all that and, and basically went to, to audiobooks and now more uh, mixing in podcasts as well. Um, so I try to do, uh, you know, get to, you know, now that I don't drive so much cause we're so kind of still mostly at home. Um, I, I try to make sure at least to get a, you know, 30 minutes a week of an audio book and a, and a few different podcasts. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely doing the 30 minutes a day of nonfiction reading. And that's just really, I don't know, helped me develop a lot of different things. And so I think it could be easy as that. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. So, you know, I could say, well, make it five minutes, 10 minutes, just as an easy way to get started. 30 minutes might be too much for someone. And I think as you know, we look to help people understand about habits, don't say like, all right, I'm going to do an hour of meditation. Break it down into something you know you can do. Um, yeah. Because then, otherwise you're going to feel like a failure for not being able to keep up with your routine. But if you can do five minutes of, of meditation or five minutes of being mindful every day, then maybe you begin to carve out some more space for it as you, as you see the benefits. Absolutely. No, I, I definitely agree on that point. I think, um, you know, whether it's something like meditation, um, you know, having, trying to start a new habit um, and starting too big where um, you use the meditation example, let's say somebody wants to start running or jogging. And they say, okay, I'm going to, I haven't ran in 10 years. I'm going to start today and I'm going to run five miles. That's very daunting for just about everybody who hasn't ran in a long time. And, you know, with with some, with a routine that you want to get started with, you want to start small. You want to start to um, master being able to do it on a consistent basis. And you can then from there, you can start um, increasing, you know, increasing from there. You know, maybe you start with a mile or maybe you set expectations low and you say, I'm going to, you know, I just want to get out, you know, three times this week. And it doesn't matter how much I run or jog or walk during that time, but I want to make sure that I get out three times and, you know, and jog or try to jog three times. Um, I also really like the point that you made about, um, you know, the, a strength that you had that, that love of learning and, um, building on it, where I think a lot of people fall into the trap, I would say, of focusing on their weaknesses. And it's always about improving their weaknesses. Maybe it's a tennis player and they have a weaker backhand than their forehand. And they're constantly, constantly, I need to get better my backhand. I need to get better my backhand. And they almost forget about their, their forehand that wins them, you know, the vast majority of points. And continuing to, yes, there is a time for working on weaknesses and working on you know areas that we want to bring up to a to a solid level but um there, there's also certainly um a lot of benefit to, to continuing to build on strengths realizing what what makes you successful and continuing to um improve on that skill set and and build on that skill set um so i i really like that that point um yeah i i, I would say also um you know 
the, the, the reading piece is, uh, you know, whatever, if you have, and this is something I definitely suggest to athletes. If you, um, for instance, uh, golf, a golfer I was working with, um, you know, golfers don't have, especially in the Northeast New England area, don't have the luxury of tennis players of being able to continue to play their sport um, year round in an indoor sense, but, you know, maybe they can go to the driving range or, you know, do some other things, but, um, they, they're shut down for a period of time. So, um, continuing to think of ways where they can improve during, you know, during, during these winter months, um, uh, maybe that has to do with imagery and visualization. Maybe it has to do with reading. Maybe it's reading a book about, um, you know, one of the all time greats or about, um, the mental aspects of the sport. Um, but I, I think, doing something, you know, on a daily basis or on a weekly basis that wraps your head around, um, you know, a, a certain topic that, that you intend to take to that next level or continue improving on in the next year is, is a great practice um, as we look forward to, to next year. Yeah. And if there's a sport that has a lot of books on the mental game, it's got to be golf. I mean, I've, <laughs> more so than I think any other sport. Yep. Uh, there are more. And even as tennis players, I think you know, one of the things that we shouldn't be afraid to do is read books from other sports. Um, because there could be a lot of great parallels. You may get some great ideas um, from those other sports. Um, I know I, I've mentioned this in a past couple episodes. You know, one of my favorite books that really helped me was called The Fighter's Mind. Yep. And not at all about tennis, but we've talked about tennis being a fighting sport, a combat sport, really taught me a lot about that. So we can, we can get a lot out of that. And I, I've read several um, you know, very, very good books on the mental game in golf. And they've helped me understand a little bit more about um, the mental game in tennis and, and different things that I've tried to work on because of that and that I had never heard before in tennis books. Um, and so it, it's good to expose ourselves. And, and many of us have also played other sports. And we should also use some of that experience to bring into, into tennis from that regard. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had the same experience. Um, one of my favorite sports psychology books is heads up baseball by, yeah. by Ken Revisa. Um, and you know, all about the, you know, uh, pitch by pitch and, uh, you know, taking things one pitch at a time. Um, and I think that can certainly be applied in tennis and, uh, I think the same goes other ways. I, I know the book um, Inner Game of Tennis um, has, and you know, we, we had Sean Brawley on recently had a great conversation with him. And I know um, plenty of people who are non-tennis players who have uh, received a lot of value from that book. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, learning from other aspects of the field of sports psychology um, for athletes or learning from other fields in general is, uh, is certainly helpful in continuing that personal development and, um, yeah, your, your development as an athlete and, and competitor. Yeah. So I think as, you know, people go through this goal setting process and, you know, looking at the different resources that we can make available, I think ultimately, if we can get down to those habits that we want to have, um, sometimes in that last sort of piece of it, it's also just some discrete action steps I need to take. You know, so I'm thinking about a few years ago where I wanted to get a certain ranking I needed to hire a personal trainer. I don't like going to the gym, working out on my own. Um, and so that was a key aspect. So I had to like call, set up the appointment, right? So that became part of part of the plan. Um, but I think, you know, one thing 
We emphasize this in our in our episode with with Jeff Barrett and Tim Donovan is the idea. I think this is key for tennis players: is that they have to practice competing. We have to make sure we have at least a weekly habit around getting in some competition. Um, and, and I would say, really, this is my personal perspective that it's got to be more than just point play. At least once a week, we've got to have some set play so that we're becoming more and more in tune with the different situations that can appear in a set. Those are difficult to replicate in clinics and point play, um, you know, being up a break, being down a break, closing things out, etc. Um, and so that, that would be one thing that I would really want to see on everybody's plan is understand, okay, what's your plan to practice competing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, and I think this has been a theme, um, in past episodes that, um, yeah, competing, um, in practice through, you know, through regular training with a coach, um, or through a junior academy or whatever it may be. Um, also, you know, calling up a friend, calling up a friend and, uh, rather than, you know, let's just, uh, you know, let's just hit or let's just play some uh, baseline games. Um, let's, let's play a set today. You know, we, we have, we both want to take that game to the next level. We know it can be more challenging um, to perform well when we're competing um, for, you know, for many, many people. So let's, um, let's, you know, let's compete and let's continue to practice that skill. So I, absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the best things I ever did as a junior player was, um, I had this one rival. He actually lived in, in our town, but he played it at a private high school instead of our high school. But during the winter, every Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we had a contract, and we would always play a two-out-of-three set match. And it just made the both of us better because we were sometimes he'd win, sometimes I'd win, and we just got better and better and better. And it was that nice spirit of sort of cooperative competition. We, we, you know, we were, you know, reasonably good friends. We didn't have a, like a rivalry in a negative way. Um, but I look back on those, those days, those Wednesday afternoons, they really helped make me the player, you know, that I, that I, that I became. And so just having that habit was so important to, to my success. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, and I, I know I've talked a little bit about, but, uh, I, I, used to, to do something similar as a kid. Um, the club I used to train at, they used to have these Saturday night tournaments That's and right. I would play them almost, almost every single week. And that, you know, sometimes I'd do well, sometimes, you know, wouldn't do as well, but just the, the act of competing and playing, getting those reps in. Um, another thing I used to go to this, uh, junior tennis Academy, um, for, for two summers going into my, um, going into my senior year and then going into college, I went for a month each time to down in uh, North Myrtle beach, South Carolina. And we used to play best of five setters. Um, and, uh, the, the thought there, um, which I, I definitely embrace is if you can, you know, if you can play a five setter or a four setter, then when you're competing in you know, the middle of the third set, it doesn't, doesn't quite feel as tough. Um, and it, and it, you know, you're, you're getting those reps in, you're seeing the fact that if you go down three Oh, in a set, it's not necessarily over. You're seeing the fact that just because you're down 
5-2 or 5-3 and the other person's serving for it, that they might get tight because that tends to happen to, to just about everybody, including the best players in the world. So you're gaining that experience. You're seeing all of the possibilities that can happen in a set of tennis, in a match, in a tennis match. You see that somebody that sometimes somebody will win that first set and then start off slow in that second set. So you know, okay, this is a great chance to, to maybe jump on that person and start to turn this match around. So you, you, through, through those experiences, you, you gain, you gain insight into um, how to better handle some of those moments that have arisen and will continue to arise in, in matches that you'll play. So I, I would totally agree that um, all tennis players who are competing should, can, should make that as a goal and intention for the upcoming year to continue to work on competing as a skill which involves practicing, um, you know, practicing playing matches as we, you know, whenever possible. Yeah. As well as also part of the plan should be, you know, what is your competition schedule? And, yep. and that'll certainly be something that the, the team works on. So I think that's been a good discussion of, uh, the different habits. So I, I think, um, what we can do is, you know, part of our show notes, put in some of these suggestions and maybe end some links to, to some of these to some of these other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, just as a reminder, I think, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to, we'd love to hear if you, uh, you know, if you, if you check out these, uh, these, these links that uh, are in the show notes and you gain value from it, or if you have any questions about anything, feel free to reach out to us. I mean, our email is tennis IQ podcast at gmail.com. You can always reach out to us about um, any particular points that we cover during the podcast, any questions that you have, um, and, uh, and yeah, and that's, that's our show for today. Um, again, you can refer to the show notes for, um, all of those links, as well as a little bit of information about this episode, as well as, um, about the show and about us. Um, if you have any feedback, um, again, you can reach out to us via email. Um, please subscribe to, um, on your platform of choice, um, on your podcast platform of choice, which includes, um, which includes YouTube and also, um, be sure to give us a follow and, you know, uh, follow what we're doing on Instagram. Um, well, thanks again. And uh, we will talk to you soon in our next episode. Bye.